Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, right near Philadelphia. And if you have listened to my podcast before, and I hope you have, you know I've talked to people from across the country at all levels of government, from school boards and borough council like myself, to state representative, to people running to organize their community, to uh, members of Congress and U.S. Senate and state auditors and and lieutenant governors and all sorts of things. So uh, there are 500,000 elected offices in this country, and a lot of them go uncontested or with very minimal effort from one party or another. And if uh, good candidates, Democrats, progressives, etc., want to win races... They can only do it if they run. And so I'm happy to go back to Alabama, um, where I'm going to talk to uh, my new friend, Lisa Ward, and talk about why she is running for office. Maybe it will encourage some of you to think about running in 2022, because this is really the time to uh, step on the gas and get it going. So uh, with that all in mind, Lisa, thanks for talking today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Love the following back and forth. It's great being with like-mindedness on social media. It helps get you through those hard days. So I appreciate it. Well, so, so hard days or good days, um, you know, Alabama politics are somewhat different from Pennsylvania, but it depends on where in Pennsylvania. Um, the thing I always ask people is, have you always been involved and invested in politics or was there something that kind of tipped you in a direction and said, like, I need to take this seriously? Well, when I was 15 in high school, we had government and econ. And at the time, Pete Fisklowski, who was the congressman in 1984, I believe was his first year. He retired last year because I'm actually from Indiana. Um, I did an internship program with him, a short one. And I remember something he had taught us back then. He said, be true to yourself and you can always be true to others. Mm-hmm. And it always stuck with me. And I guess from afar, um, throughout the years, watching how things have progressed and regressed and, and gone full circle in the political realm, I've always had this inner engagement with politics or politicians who campaign one way and legislate another. Mm-hmm. And so I've sort of kind of have always had that there. In 1998, when my town had a need to incorporate to protect our rural community, I wrote the articles incorporation and we came together as a community and formed an incorporation. I served as city council and then again later as the commissioner for planning and zoning and that was in the late 90s. We helped get a school, we helped build our rural communities mm. and so I've always been doing these community social things. But I basically, over the last few decades, have either managed campaigns, either statewide, and I've worked in national campaigns for free. I'm one of those people who is a firm believer in paying it forward that democracy is not free. It is something that we have to, each generation, pay forward. And I owe a debt to the people before me who did what they did. So I've always been behind the scenes. And in this particular case, yes, I served in the 90s, but in this case as a candidate recruiter who goes around trying to find candidates to help win elections, um, we couldn't find anybody to run against this particular incumbent who had been there. And I had a light bulb come on when we left the last election. Once again, as always, the elections, there's all these promises and everything happens. And then at the end of the day, um, nothing changes Mm -hmm. after elections. Everything goes back to status quo. And so... 
as things were not changing, I felt like I needed to be the candidate that I couldn't find and run against this particular person because my grandson came home one day and was telling me who his senator was. Mm-hmm. And I realized his senator was the same senator that my children had when they were small and nothing had changed. We lost a whole generation. A whole, he had been down there two plus uh, decades, We've served in both chambers, and I've always managed campaigns. I've always done everything from the other side. And so I thought, if we don't put people on there, like you said, if you don't throw somebody on that ballot, there's no options. And so I wanted to give the people in my community who have not been taken care of, we have the haves and the have nots. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give them a chance to have an option. And so I said, okay, here I am. And I threw myself out there. And so I'm on this side of the aisle now. Well, it reminds me uh, in, in terms of running against a long-term incumbent, I talked to uh, someone not too far from you in Mississippi, Shonda Yates. She ran uh, a few years ago and flipped a seat where the person had been in office longer than she had been alive, like 30 year, thirty plus years. And it seems with the way that districts are drawn these days, and this is true for Republicans um, for the most part, but true of both parties depending on the state, um, there's a severe lack of competitiveness. And I guess from your perspective, when there's no competitiveness in a seat, uh, it's very easy for someone to get complacent and just, you know, not even need to bother to do the political work of, you know, community engagement and living up to what they promised. And that's exactly what happens in Alabama. Mm-hmm. My my first big statewide campaign where I was angry was when Richard Shelby ran. I ran the campaign for a guy who um, was running against Richard Shelby in 10. And he Shelby lives in my county. And when he went out, was trying to do something about the unions, get rid of unions and raise the retirement to 70 years old, it got personal. I was, as a union person, born and bred, blue collar, I know that a guy's knees go out at 50. So mm-hmm. he can't stay around until he's 70 to retire. And I told them, I said, if Shelby can get up on a roof for 40 hours and he can do this for 40 hours, instead of sitting in a high back chair telling us how long we have to work, you know, then, okay, fine. We'll try to go with 70. But that was the turning point for me in Alabama. And I said, Oh heck no. And so we went after him. We got half a million votes and $5,000, but it wasn't because we, had the greatest guy in the world, although he was a good candidate and very viable, it's that people wanted Shelby gone that bad because of complacency. And like you said, there's a spirit of entitlement that comes after about two decades. They don't even feel like they have to answer to you. They mm-hmm. don't feel like they ha- they work for you anymore. They don't even come to town halls or answer your calls. They have a staffer on an intern who's up there sending out template form letters and emails that we all know are the same because we, we compiled them. And then the last election was... U.S. Congressman Robert Adderholt, who has not lived in the state of Alabama for 18 years. He lives in Arlington, Virginia. His children never went to school here, but he has served us as a congressman for 24 years. I have a problem with that Mm -hmm. because you're being paid by tax dollars that come from us. And so in this particular case with Gerald Allen, it was the same thing. He doesn't talk to us. He doesn't return phone calls. He's still my senator. And I was over it. And I just said, This spirit of complacency has got to go. You people have to understand. And I think that honestly, the employers here are the employees, which are the people. They don't believe that that it matters because of the electoral college. 
why 22 is so important, midterms are critical because we don't have electoral votes that's going to sway it for us. And if you want a good cop in your neighborhood, then you better go out and vote for a good sheriff that's going to hire that cop. Mm-hmm. And people don't get that because they've been told so much that their vote doesn't count. In Alabama, we keep saying as Democrats, we don't have a message. We've had the same message for a decade. We can't win. It's a red state. Yeah. I'm sorry, but it's not a red state. It's just that the red people are voting more mm-hmm. and that the blue ones are staying home because they don't think they their vote matters. And that's what I've been crossing county lines throughout this state, trying to debunk that myth and bring the blue dots closer together because there's more of us, which hence you saw that little pin on Twitter on Twitter. And that's me going around from county to county and showing them every time we take that red plate and somebody puts their blue dot that's in the room there, that plate looks less and less red. And that's what happens when we vote. But we are so spread out with all these organizations and all these caucuses and all these diversities that we're not coming together as one united front. And the Democrats only have one mission. You know, they have one playbook. They have one umbrella. And we're so diverse and we haven't learned how to embrace those diversities. So we're splintered. And it just makes us look like there's less of us than there are. And in the state of Alabama, we have 1.8 million Republicans voted, 1.3 Democrats. The rest of them are up for grabs because they're not registered to vote or they've been purged. So I don't believe it's a red state. I don't believe that any of these are red states. I just believe that the red people are voting more. So you, um, you, you're running in a certain district. And, you know, talk about not a red state. Alabama has elected a Democratic senator more recently than Maine has, you know, for being technical, since um, Senator King there, who caucuses the Democrats, is an independent. But, you know, to be more specific, it's elected a Democratic senator more recently than North Carolina, which people always talk about as a swing state, more recently than Florida, more recently than um, Iowa, which is considered a swing state. You know, it's or was more uh, really it's been it's elected a Democrat more recently than a lot of other states. Granted, it was a special election, but I, I, I imagine that for people like you, like Tabitha, who's spoken on my podcast, and for others, there's a lot more reason to feel energized in Alabama than people outside of the state may admit. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, think about our football team, and I talk about this often. There was a time when we were not good at football, but we were willing to pay the price, go out and find a guy that could – Way. I mean, football, I'm so saddened that everything around us is less important than football, but it sends a message and it's symbolic for how hard people are willing to fight and what they're willing to pay for mm-hmm. to get a man to go out and find a, what we needed to be number one in football, right? If we could only put those passions towards doing the same thing, like with Doug in his case, the reason why Doug won in that special election, yes, granted, Roy Moore was not a very good candidate and he had some baggage, but the Democrats came together with a united front. The message of being one Alabama resonated with people and the energy was positive. And that's where we lack as Democrats. We've got a spirit of defeatism that just sort of controls us and it sort of bogs us down. And then we become whiners on the couch with the remote saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, wish you good luck and prayers and thoughts and whatever. No, every day counts and you can't get that day back. And Democrats can't have got to stop waiting for someone else to do the work. And we we can't wait until Election Day. 
Yeah, and we saw that just this week, I think, um, with the Supreme Court cases about Roe versus Wade, the potential to overturn 40, 50 years of precedent to protect women's freedoms and rights and body autonomy, bodily autonomy. And then, you know, granted, it doesn't look good from the from the in terms of that particular case, and that's really sad. But there are a lot of people online who just went into uh, doomerism and said, they "Well, and it's it's their playbook. They right. have nothing because for every four years, we have an opportunity to remind people that they did not balance the budget. They have not been transparent. Mm-hmm. They have." earmarked and re-earmarked and moved money and pulled money and reallocated money. Our tax dollars are being manipulated and nobody wants to talk about that. So they create a diversion and every time it's the abortion card. I'm sorry, but I'm a state legislator who's got poor people with brown water and don't have a job. It's above my pay grade. That's a Supreme Court issue. They're, they've got this. It's just a diversion and a deflection. And while I support it and I agree with it, they know how to take us off defense and put us on defense. Right. And that's what they do every time so that we will stop focusing on what they've done. Yeah. And my, my what I was thinking, like, like like you're saying, is that there are so many people who immediately just get into doomer mode. And I see it so much. I've been talking to people on the podcast about it where they're like, well, you know, Democrats can't win. I can't believe we have these seats in Congress. Like, you have a 50-vote majority. You don't have a huge majority in Congress. Like, you have right. to fight for the next election. You can't just dwell on not getting enough now. You have to keep fighting for the next thing, whatever you believe in. It doesn't matter if it's you know women's rights, if it's labor rights, et cetera. You can't just say, like, you know, fall apart because you didn't get the perfect today. Right. And, you know, think about this. We're farmers down here. There's a lot of agriculture here. Mm-hmm. And what we do as Democrats is we don't think strategically like we should. They work all year round. We don't. A farmer gets up sun up to sun down right. every single day, and he does this. He never knows what that harvest is going to bring, ever. But he does it anyways because it's all he knows. And if he doesn't do well, and so I've been this tiller trying to go around breaking up this hard ground, this spirit of defeatism here, because the alternative is not an option for me. It's, we can't stop. We don't have a choice. We know what's going to happen if we do. And so for people here, it's easier to say, oh, well, it's a red state or you're only 40 percent. You can't win. And your own people tell you, mm-hmm. no, I'm not a dumb blonde that's been, you know, that came off a turnip truck yesterday. <laughs> I know what the odds are on paper. But did we ever think we'd go to the moon? Did we ever think that? Trump would be our president. Did we ever think the things that has progressed and happened would happen? No. So we do what the farmer does and we keep going no matter what. And when the harvest comes and election time is here, if we had a bad crop, we start over. He doesn't walk away. Right. And so speaking of farming, tell me about, about where you're from, you're from, because you're from Pickens County and Tuscaloosa area in Alabama. Um, I, I know, I can find Alabama on the map, but I don't know that part of Alabama much. And again, people look at a state and they just think, well, Florida is like Miami or Texas is like um, wherever place. And Alabama is Alabama. But that's clearly not the case. You know, it's it's a more diverse state throughout than people realize. So what what are the issues or the concerns that you see as important there? You talked about clean water, for example. Like what's... What's your district like, and what do you think you could uh, try and help with? Well, I'm 
in the county of Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa County, where the football is, the metro area, but I actually live on the East Tuscaloosa side. Literally, if I sneeze, I could be in Bibb County or Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. I'm Birmingham is on one side, Tuscaloosa is on the other, and I was one of those in jeopardy of being redistricted out. And since my incumbent has, is on the reapportionment committee and he has cut out his last two, we were really afraid that he was going to cut me out too, but I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I wanted to serve my community. Uh, we have parts of Tuscaloosa County and all of Pickens County, which is totally rural. The lifestyle that they have there is they've got 55% of the people and senior citizens on food stamps. They don't have mm-hmm. a medical clinic in their whole county. They don't have jobs. It looks like a an abandoned Mayberry. Mm-hmm. They um, And I'm actually running more so for the have-nots and the haves because yeah. I have an abundance. I mm-hmm. have plenty where I live. We have broadband. Most of them places don't. And I live in Terry Sewell's 7th Congressional District. So I'm um, I'm in the heart of where everything is happening, but there I'm still rural Alabama, mm-hmm. and most of Alabama is rural. But our issues here that I personally have a, have a problem with is while everybody's talking about these federal issues, people are still hungry here. They mm-hmm. are still paying a lot of taxes. They still can't get a job more than. 31000 a year. Mm-hmm. People don't own houses down here. They have to rent because they can't afford to get a mortgage. They don't go to college. They go to jail because they get in trouble because they're bored. Yeah. And so for me, it's personal. And I want to bring this back to nonpartisan issues. For example, people don't know this about Alabama. They claim that they're low taxes, but we're one of the highest taxed in the country. Mm-hmm. We are one of three states in this whole country that still pay full grocery tax, sales mm-hmm. tax. We pay up to 11%. So bread and food and eggs and necessities of life break us. People that are poor pay twice as much as the top earners do. Nobody understands that. Nobody sees that because they hide it. Mm-hmm. We get taxed on everything, but they hide it in Netflix bills and phone bills and our grocery bills. Do you know that it costs more for baby food sales tax than it does for animal food here? And if you earn $3,000 you owe income tax here. New York's is forty. Mm-hmm. We don't. Even, we barely have people that make forty a year, and so they, when you, everybody thinks that we're so great because we have Tuscaloosa and we have Birmingham and Montgomery and Mobile and Huntsville, those are five metro areas. But the rest of it is rural with yeah. no broadband. And sadly, during COVID, we didn't get a lot of schools. A lot of people didn't get to virtual learn because they didn't have broadband. Mm-hmm. Well, they were more susceptible to COVID, and those people didn't have a clinic. They couldn't go and get shots. You know, things like that it was happening everywhere. And the reality is we're more rural than not. Mm-hmm. And we have been neglected. And there's men money here, but it's not being appropriately allocated. They have this thing that says you got to go on the website and apply for this money. Well, if you don't have broadband, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, I've been talking to a few people on my podcast about this. You know, in Minnesota, it was or still is the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. And... You know, for example, um, it's great that progressives and Democrats take on a lot of these other big, big issues. But, you know, it it feels like from historically that rural communities should be at the heart of the Democratic and progressive agenda, right? Like every major economic issue, while it's good for someone like me where I can walk to everything I need, um, it's probably even more important to a rural community with clean water, access to health, etc., 
Right. When I was serving as city council um, back in the 90s, mm-hmm. we couldn't get a dog catcher out here. Mm-hmm. I was on, we're on the outside of the Tuscaloosa, and everything is all about Tuscaloosa. They get $40 million, and everybody else gets one to allocate through the rescue plan. And you have sales tax. When you're a metro big city, you get cash flow yeah. every day and all kinds of stuff. So when you get this federal money, you should not go by population. People don't want to get to the root cause. And that's what I did in my career before doing all of this full-time activism is my job was to optimize the operation by detecting the root cause of the downtime and the delays and constraint that I'm a subject addict expert uh, in problem solving. And so my thing is, when you get federal money, that's kind of like free money, so to speak. Yeah. Give it to the least among us because those people are the ones that don't have a cash flow. They're the ones that have the real need that could get a jump up or a head start. But people say down here, well, that they have to give the money where the population is. But why is the population in Tuscaloosa? Because those people have to leave their hometowns to go get a good job that they could pay for their families. Right. We should not be focusing on the big cities when we don't want them to have to leave home. And they're having to leave their towns and they're drying up and nobody cares. So to me, rural Alabama is the real Alabama. Yeah. And I mean, we talk about people talk about getting food for the holidays, for example. I I volunteer at a cupboard here to help our community, but there wouldn't be any food for the holidays. It wasn't for people growing and distributing it. And, you know, people talk about climate issues, for example. And there's a lot of things you can do on a local level. But those issues affect I'm on a hill. it's bad, you know, some of those situations are terrible, but it doesn't affect me personally as much as it does people who depend on the weather for their food. Um, what do you think that other candidates could do across the country, not just in Alabama, but just to be good advocates for better solutions for rural communities? Because not to take up too much time on my end, but it sounds like there are a lot of conservatives that were in office and nothing against conservatives, Republicans, whatever. Um, who have these, what they consider safe seats or are ignoring some good government solutions. And then there are a lot of people who either don't run for those seats because it seems hard and you're taking on the hard challenge, or they um, they fight for other reasons, for neglecting these kitchen table issues. So you're really committed to them. What are the ways that we can uh, adequately address um, some of those needs and, and make a big difference as government? Well, I can't speak for all of the other states, but I would be willing to wager that they're in the same situation as us. If there was an earthquake and every state in the country fell off the face of the earth, Alabama could survive on natural resources alone. Well, let's we hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> we have, have, have 133,000 miles of rivers and streams. We're number one in biodiversity and we don't take care of it. Mm. We're the only ones in the South that doesn't have a water plan, but yet we have the most water and it doesn't make sense because we could be creating so many jobs. We could innovate in Huntsville. We could do engineering in Tuscaloosa, administration in Birmingham. We can, the black belt and the the Southern part could manufacture and we can export out of our own mobile um, water. We could put ships on and, and export ourselves. So we, Think about the wildfires that they've had in California. Who's going to produce? Who's going to do that? If there was a work program, a citizenship work program, where these rural areas where we had people, and this is one of my dreams, is to take some of these rural areas, come up with a work program where they're, when they're trying to get citizenship, they work because they're paying sales tax, so that's revenue. We give them a small little home where they can pay for, and they grow. They want to do blue-collar work. They want to farm. That's mm-hmm. what they want to do, and that's what we need right now. 
So take your natural resources, find out what they are and capitalize on that. The Commission of Agriculture is one of the best positions out there for growing direct and indirect work, you know, for people. But nobody focuses on the need to even vote for or understand what that position does for us. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the reason why I'm running for Senate is because they're the ones that confirms these agencies. And so we have a bunch of useless or lack of leadership in these roles. And that's why we're failing in everything because they're being appointed by senators or they're being confirmed by them. They're being recommended by one side. It's not about qualifications. Right. Now, when you do that and you're in a a situation where people who are making these decisions, um, maybe they don't have competitive seats. They're just doing the, it's, it's an easy job for them potentially. Um, you know, what, what kind of things did they end up prioritizing over, um, the rural needs, because like you said, they're confirming these appointments for what I'm like, we hire people on my local level for, um, police chief and, you know, right. uh, other things. We always look at qualifications. Why wouldn't you, but what, what's the difference of what they're doing that you would do? Um, the vetting would be different mm-hmm. qualifications. One of the things that I acknowledge is that I am not a subject matter expert in all things. However, networking, the people in your communities, nobody knows my district like me. Mm-hmm. So I'm obviously going to look, if I have needs in my district, for subject matter experts that can advocate for what's going on there in those communities and bring them to the table for the conversations. These guys basically just go out and it's a favor of a favor of a favor. I, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody. And then you go and you look and they don't have that long of a portfolio of experience. They just, it is one of the things that's sad about being elected officials is the qualifications are so, the standards are so low. Mm-hmm. I tell everybody here in Alabama, if you look at what's happened in legislation for the last 10 years in our state, they have lowered the standards so much that we're all qualified. Yeah. And I tell them, if you can read and write and you know right from wrong, you can run. That's even overqualified for some people knowing right <laughs> from wrong, right? Um, but it, that's true. Like, But isn't that also why government should be less about a resume than about representation? Because it seems like there's there's uh, so many states and it's not just red states or purple states or blue states. It's every kind of state. Um, where certain people are way overrepresented and a lot of other people, whether it's because of their color, whether their religion, their uh, gender, um, are so underrepresented. Um, that representation of different ideas and backgrounds is is uh, missing in pretty much every state except maybe one or two. Especially ours. If yeah. you look at our Senate seat, we have 35 senators they are all white Republican men, except for we just recently in July had a special election and there's a white Demo- a white Republican woman mm-hmm. and there is eight African-American males. Four of them are women. But if you look at the whole 105 House and the 35 Senate, it's almost all men. And here's the hard part about the diversity of that is that Alabama, we're 61 percent female population Mm -hmm. and 265,000 more women in 20 voted than men. But yet all of those people down there are pretty much all men. Mm -hmm. Most of them being white men. Yeah. And that one of the issues that I have is that I don't feel like I'm being represented and I feel this way and it sounds ugly to say it, but I'm tired of them writing laws for me and about me, but without me. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of not being in those equations. And this abortion issue is a, a perfect example. Once again, these men who have no idea, they they want to preach and yell and scream pro-life. Well, where's the ban on death penalty? 
what you guys are executing left and right down here and some of them not even warranted yet you believe in pro-life you know don't pick a side yeah you want to if you want to campaign on the bible then legislate on it right there's, keep there's, it separate. as someone who grew up catholic there's a lot of people who uh they really pick and choose. Like, there's not a lot of Matthew 25 people running around, uh, running for certain offices. They kind of miss that right. part, and they they gloss. They they really pick over some other things, and exactly. it, it's discouraging. And you know, I feel you're the third or fourth person I've talked to from Alabama on the podcast, and you know that Alabama gets, I think, unfairly maligned by people outside the state. But in Pennsylvania, we haven't elected any. Um, woman of either party as governor or senator ever and you know you guys you know not to stick up for KIV but you at least have elected a woman for governor which we haven't done so maybe other states need to uh check themselves before they make any sort of judgments yeah you know this, this is true KIV is a woman but she is not a woman that represents the women's Oh um, yeah, I'm not and, here defending. I'm just saying that you know you guys have yeah. po- you have potential, and especially with a candidate like you, um, to bring some energy that maybe other states sh- and other states, other donors, other volunteers, etc., um, need to be paying attention to someone like Lisa Ward, and you know not neglect it as well. That's Alabama, and Democrats can't win. Well, in this state, they don't. In our state. It's about popularity. It's about trending. It's about mm-hmm. what is – people don't like to lose. If football hasn't sent you that message by now in Alabama, then you haven't been paying attention. Mm-hmm. They don't like to lose. And so they won't get behind a long shot. So in my particular case, if you go and you look at our stats, every single Senate race, every single Senate seat in this whole state is lean, 65% or more Republican or Democrat – District 7 is pretty much the only one that is blue, that you guarantee a Democrat will get that seat. Mm -hmm. The whole rest of the state, there's only two Senate seats that are swing states, District 2 and District 7. And then up until this recent redistricting, there's only two now that are at 40%. The rest of them are either higher or lower. So I don't stand a chance in their mind, even though I have the most. District 21 and District 27 are at 40% Democrat before we get started. And so nobody wants to get behind a loser. Nobody wants to say that they would rather say, see, I told you you can't win. Mm-hmm. See, I, did, I told you you would lose. Because nobody wants to get behind a loser. But I'm just, whether I'm naive or just stubborn, I don't know. But, hey, talk bad about me. I don't care. At least you're leaving someone else alone. But in my mind, I don't have an option. I have grandbabies. I have three daughters and five granddaughters. And I am terrified that if something happens to me and I'm not here to fight for them, what's this world going to be like? And I've got to leave it better than when it was when I got it, because that's my pay it forward. I owe that democracy is not free. And I'm not going to let people tell me, Oh, you're not Doug Jones. You're not Terry Sewell. You're not somebody popular. You can't win. I'm sorry, but if you can either get beside me and follow me on this thing or just get away from my bus because I'm going forward and I'm not being naive. I'm not being crazy. I'm an analyst by trade. I know what the numbers say on paper, but I also know that we never, ever thought we'd have a black president. We never thought women could vote or we'd get on the moon and all of those things give me this sublimial hope in the back of my head that I can defy the odds. And maybe I won't win. But at least I won't lose by as much as they did the last time because mm-hmm. there's a hole that's being filled. There's an option out there that they can pick from. It's a whole lot better than what we've been doing, and that's putting nobody nowhere. 
And, you know, it reminds me what you just said. And, and of course, I wish you the best of luck. And I think that you can't win unless you have the energy of someone like Lisa Ward. So, you know, you're not going to win by just putting yourself on the ballot and then twiddling your thumbs and hoping for the best. Um, but I talked with Emily Segrist, who ran for assembly in Wisconsin, very gerrymandered state, probably the worst gerrymandered in the country, from my understanding. Um, and she didn't win. But the Democrat for governor did win, which was a massive massively important. And as a result of him, but he won part largely because candidates like her ran down ballot and lifted up the voting potential for people up ballot as well. So I imagine, you know, whether it's for Congress or for other races, it needs to be a team effort, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And that's why we cross county lines. We go to different counties and we talk to them. I have a call tonight with Chilton County and Shelby County and Bibb County are trying to collaborate their efforts. They want to get candidates to run. And I feel like the more we share of what we know, the less we all have to do ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you can't vote for me because you're not in my district. But if I go to Montgomery, I can vote for you. And that's the way that the mindset is I'm trying to change in Alabama because they look at you like, well, you're not in my district, so good luck. And we can't think that way because every Democrat matters wherever they are. And at the end of the day, getting local people, city council people, we helped so many last year when we were running for U.S. Congress when Rick was running. We helped down ballot people all across it, county commissioners, city council people, mayors, um, and 33 of them ran, I think 13 or 14 won on a local level. But those voters, they will they will vote up. Right. They won't end there and vote for Doug Jones, but they might vote for the county commissioner person and trust that they trust him and then vote for Doug Jones. You know what I mean? Yep. It is, so, a, it is a team effort. I know that here in my area where um, Montgomery County was trending Democratic for president. There was lose Republicans are winning down ballot, and now, um, you know, Democrats win for everything in my county, which you know makes my job easier than yours. Yeah. But that means that your job is an investment, like you said, for your grandkids and your kids. It's an investment for the future as well. Um, Lisa, it's called the podcast is called You Should Run. I think we've explained why people should run. Um, but if people are interested in following you, if they want to learn more, maybe ask you questions and maybe they'll find encouragement to run themselves. What are the best ways that you would recommend people uh, connect with you on social or online? Well, um, and I, I don't know if you had seen this or not. I'm not really good with the digital stuff. Um, Twitter I'm new to and, um, and I, some support that's been on there has been great. So they can find me on Twitter, Lisa mm -hmm. Ward, the number four Senate. Um, I am Good, new at Instagram and all of that. But Facebook's where I've been for 15 years. That's been my biggest social platform. And I'm one of those people that I do a lot of short little videos. People will send me questions all day long. And it's hard to type because you don't get the same as you would get if you do videos. So I started doing them on YouTube. And again, I'm not a technical person and I'm doing a lot of this you know, on my own, but it's because I want to be out there with them. So Facebook is the biggest one. And then Twitter is, mm -hmm. which, like I said, I'm learning and I'm growing that, but I'm a face-to-face -face kind of girl. I would want you to call me if you have any questions, if anybody does, like somebody was hounding me about how I feel about church and state, separating church and state. So I did a video and I threw mm -hmm. it on YouTube because I didn't have time to just keep bantering back and forth in thread. And it, you don't get all of it out there in those threads you know you lose a whole lot of it and i also um really emails and phone calls but i'm a face-to-face -face person so 
anywhere out there that I can get to you, somebody will get me the message. If I don't see you somewhere, somebody will get it to me. And I'm an open book. You know, I just, it's just, I'm not a politician. I have no voting record. I'm not an incumbent. I have nothing to protect. Transparency in its absolute is critical to me because I don't think that it's fair that we no longer trust our government. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair that we have to live our lives on a TV screen trying to figure out what they're doing and not trusting them. It's a national security issue for me because when you don't trust your government, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm doing this because I'm trying to bring back servant leadership. I'm trying to get away from, oh, well, you're a politician, so it's okay if you lie. It's part of the spin. It's part of the process. And I'm not okay with that. I'm just a regular Nana who loves my grandbabies, and I'm tired of having to watch the TV screen or look at social media every day to say, oh my gosh, what did they do today? That's not fair to the people who want to live their lives. Nobody signed up to be a politician or to follow politics. You know, we send them to office because we trust them to do the right thing. And they're supposed to be our voice. And that's why I'm doing this to sort of break it up and try to see if we can't bring it back because the gridlock's got to go. Remember when we used to have sweet tea on the front porch and disagree and then talk about what was for dinner. And now because of an open carry law, if you say something somebody doesn't agree with, they might shoot you. Well, I'm over that. I want to have conversations. I want to have the hard talks. And even if we don't agree about them, I want to figure out how we can come to this middle ground where we can legislate again for normal people because my kids won't survive this. Yeah. When I'm gone, they won't survive it. And that's what I'm over. Well, I appreciate that you were putting the energy in there. And I encourage everyone who is paying attention to try and match Lisa's energy wherever you are. Because, again, there are hundreds of thousands of elected offices in this country, and they cannot be won unless people run. Um, Follow Lisa on Twitter. That's how I got in touch with her, and I'm very glad I did. And I encourage you to run for office as well. Lisa, best of luck in Alabama. I think that, you know, you are going to make a difference there, and I hope that other people are inspired by what you're doing. Well, thank you, and I love what you're doing with this run. This is great. I love it. People can just listen in their car. They can pop on pop it on i've been catching up with all of your previous ones and it's actually been great because you're getting so many perspectives and it helps you in your areas with what you do you know where you are so that we're the more different we are the more alike we are and i'm finding that with your podcast it's pretty cool great well i appreciate it and if you're listening and you have an idea for a podcast uh guest or you want to speak with me uh, my email is tony heil t-o-n-y-h-e-y-l at gmail.com and you can also uh Follow this podcast on Twitter, uh, and we would love to have you on as well. Not You, the listener, but I might be interested in more perspectives from across the country. And again, I hope that if you're listening, you will run for office too. Thank you, Lisa, and best of luck in Alabama. Thank you so much. We'll see you online.